Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. We're back here in Mark 8. This chapter began with the feeding of the 4,000. I think it was actually about a month ago when we were here last. Um, and, and Jesus had healed a blind man progressively, like in, in stages. He had done that on purpose as an object lesson to show his disciples how he was progressively opening their eyes to who he truly was and what that, that meant for, him, for them. Um, that question, who Jesus is. And what that means for us, that is a question and answer that we get here this morning in the text we just read and what we're going to study together. Actually, there's three questions and three answers there. Um, And we're right in the middle of the Gospel of Mark. The questions and answers that we're going to look at that are addressed this morning, probably the most important ones for any human being to consider uh, in life. We already read this, and before we study it verse by verse together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, I love this passage. It, it, it is, is clear and concise, and it answers all the important questions in life, as long as we answer that first one correctly. Help us to do that. If there's one here who's never answered that question, who is Jesus? I pray that this would be the day that they understand who he is, that your Holy Spirit, you would use your word this morning to reveal that to them. I'm so thankful that that's happened in Sina's life. I'm so thankful, Lord, that um, for, for her testimony and, and even the, what she just did and how you're using her skills, her talents that you gave her in, in, in art to, to share with others and to encourage others and point to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all supposed to do. Lord, uh, illuminate the truth of your word to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verses 27 to 30 here. This is the question, who am I? From Jesus. Jesus is asking this question. This first question pertains to Jesus Christ and the other two we're going to look at this morning. They pertain to us, provided that we answer this first question correctly. And we see the answer of the crowd in verses 27 and 28. In verse 27, it says, Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. as a larger city. They were in the towns, a smaller town surrounding it. And as they walked on this journey, well, Jesus used this opportunity to talk to his disciples. He seizes this moment to ask them some incredibly core, important questions. And the second part of verse 27 gives us that question. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Or who am I in the minds of men? What were the crowds saying about who Jesus is? And it says in verse 28 that his disciples answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias or Elijah. And others one of the prophets. So the disciples tell Jesus what they believe or what they've heard uh, is the crowd's concept of who Jesus is. 
He's either John the Baptist, resurrected, or maybe Elijah, or one of the older Old Testament prophets come back from the dead. Now, some of these might be understandable answers in this, that, that the way Jesus preached and what he preached was very similar to John the Baptist. The miracles that Jesus performed uh, might have made them uh, remember some of the accounts they heard of Elijah and Elisha and the miracles they did. I mean, but none of them were as great or in as great a quantity as what Jesus Jesus Christ did. So these answers might be understandable, but they're incorrect. For one, there's no reincarnation. There's a resurrection. Man's appointed once to die and, and then the judgment. So they were incorrect there. Um, but yeah, Jesus was a teacher. He was a preacher. He was a prophet, but he was so much more than that. So much more than that. The, the answer of the crowd is even more understandable because of this. See, they were okay. The human heart is okay with a Jesus who's just another good teacher, just another man trying to show us the way to live, trying to show us how to love. And this world today, they're okay with a Jesus like that. One of many teachers who's just trying to do their best to teach us how to live. But again, Jesus is so much more than this. And when we answer the question, who am I about Jesus correctly, well, it has some very serious implications and consequences. It has life-changing results. And I think this is the reason that many people, even if down deep they know the correct answer to this question, they don't want to admit it because of what it'll mean in their lives. Everyone's got to face this question, though. Nobody can just turn away from it. You've got four options. That's what Jerry Vines uh, famous Southern Baptist pastor, Dr. Jerry Vines, said, you got four options with what you're going to do with this question. Who am I? Jesus asking that. It's a legend? I mean, it's just a myth. We know that's not the case. Or Jesus is a liar. He says he's the son of God. That's not the case. Maybe he's just a lunatic. <laughs> like he had good intentions and he just didn't know. He was crazy. He thought he was the son of God. We know that's not the case. So your only other option is that he's Lord, that he's the Lord of your life. And Jesus next poses this question just a little bit different way in verse 29. He directs it more specifically to his disciples. And he saith unto them, but, but whom say ye or whom say you that I am? In the Greek, the you there is emphatic. That's why I was just emphatic with it. It's stressed in this question posed. Jesus' greatest concern isn't what all these crowds who are, honestly, they're still walking in darkness, what they think about him. He is very concerned, though, about what these men who he's just spent three years of his life with, day in, day out, what do they say? What do they believe about who Jesus is? So the disciple Peter here, asking, uh, acting as like a, a spokesman for the group, or you know, maybe, maybe just like a little kid in school who's got this intense eagerness because he knows the right answer. Peter says here in verse 29, you're the Christ. You're the, you're the Christ. Now, in that word Christ that Peter used, he's declaring that he believes Jesus is God's son, God's promised Messiah. That's what the word Christ means uh, in the Greek language. And, and there's a lot of very important theology wrapped up in that little word. For us 
uh, not necessarily knowing that Christ means Messiah. We might think it's really nothing more than a, a second name or a last name for, for Jesus. But the concept of Christ that is promised from the Old Testament on, this Messiah, uh, this is the idea of an individual, individual who, who's not just a mere human, but he's the Son of God. He, he would take all three roles of Old Testament human deliverers and he would unite them uh, into one. Prophet, priest, king, but he do so as, as one divine deliverer. And Matthew's gospel, he records Peter's answer here just a little bit longer and exactly this way. You are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. That's what Matthew says, Peter said. And Jesus did, he did unite all three of these delivering roles as our divine deliverer, as the son of the living God, as a, a prophet. He came to replace our ignorance and, and the darkness of our understanding because of sin uh, with the light of the knowledge of God. As our only intercessory and necessary priest, our, our only intermediary between ourselves and God, Jesus took away our guilt by taking it on himself and paying the penalty for our sins on the cross. He, he satisfied God's wrath and restored us to a righteous, reconciled standing before God for all who trust in him as Savior. And then finally, as our king, by his death, by his victory over death, what we just celebrated last Sunday, uh, he conquered the power of sin over us. He came to rescue us from our adversary, the devil, and all that would harm us. So Peter got it right. Amen. Peter got it right. That is who Jesus is. He is God's promised Messiah. He's a son of the living God, the Savior that God sent to save us from our sins. He's God come down to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves because of what we had done to ourselves. Because of our sin, our rebellion against him, our gracious Lord and Savior, our prophet, our priest, our king, that's who Jesus is. And when the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to reveal this to you, when you answer that question that Jesus Christ asked correctly, who am I? When you answer that correctly, listen to me, it's of eternal significance that you do. When you answer this question correctly, well, it begins to answer a lot of other questions as well. Like, who am I to Jesus? And that's what verses 31 to 33 talk about. This is the age-old question, human question. Who am I? What am I on this big blue and green ball for? What is my purpose in life? Who am I to Jesus? Or when you answer that first question correctly, that Jesus is your Savior, when you recognize that, when you do more than recognize, when, when you receive him by faith, well, then you become the redeemed of God. That's who you are. You're the redeemed of God. When we recognize Jesus Christ as the Savior that we so desperately need for our sins, and when by faith we receive him as such, we become the redeemed of God. That's who God says that we are. That's who Jesus says we are. Just like Sina painted while the singing was going on this morning, I am who you, who you say I am, answers that question. What am I here for? What's my purpose in life? I'm the redeemed of God. I'm not what other people say about me. I'm not what the devil says about me. Because I have by faith in God's grace to me in Jesus Christ, because I've been redeemed, I'm bought with a price. And I'm his. And I'm his forever. Christ's redeeming work for us is exactly what Jesus described as his messianic mission here in verse 31. Look at that. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. 
be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He would suffer many things, Jesus says, his Messiah, his, his messianic ministry, his message would be rejected by the religious leaders. He'd be put to death by them. We celebrated all of this just a little over a week ago. But as we celebrated last week, and as we do every Sunday, he wouldn't stay dead. He would rise from the dead. That's what Jesus prophesies here, predicts here. His resurrection, his ascension being God's stamp of approval on his messianic mission, on the redeeming work of Jesus Christ for us. Now, what Jesus just described as what he would do as the Messiah, it did not sit well with Peter. It didn't sit well with the rest of the disciples. It didn't sit well with everyone, really. I mean, their concept of a Messiah, it was based purely on, on temporal, earthly, physical deliverance from their current governmental oppressors. So for a Messiah not to be welcomed, for a Messiah to suffer, for a Messiah to be killed is unthinkable. Unthinkable. And Peter says as much in verse 32. Look at that. And, and he spake that saying openly. He told them, you know what? Up until now, he's alluded to it. But now he just said it straight out there in verse 31. He says he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and Peter began to rebuke him. It says that Peter took him. My guess is that Peter tries to discreetly bring Jesus away from the other disciples he's speaking to here. And say, um, Jesus, that's not how this whole Messiah thing works. That's not what you're supposed to do. Um, you're going to need to gain popular support. You're going to need to get out the vote. You're going to have to have a large following. That's a good thing. You're going to have to garner a lot of support for your messiahship. And when we have that large following, we're finally going to be able to overthrow the Roman government and all these Jewish leaders who have kowtowed to them. And look at Jesus' response in verse 33. He says, but when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God but the things that be of men. Now, Jesus' response might seem harsh to Peter's attempt to dissuade him, but it was very necessary for all of his disciples to hear. It, it didn't matter what they thought the Messiah should be or do. It only mattered what God's will was for the Messiah to be and do. And Peter and the other disciples here, and the vast majority of Jewish people, even now to this day, the vast majority of this world, they, they had it wrong. They didn't understand. Jesus was here for more. He came to save us from so much more than some oppressive government. He came to save us from our rebellious, self-inflicted sin sickness that resulted in an eternal separation from God, that resulted in death. You know, much like the temptation that Jesus faced earlier in the wilderness from Satan. See, the devil was currently using Peter here to try to dissuade Jesus from the road to Calvary. He was trying to get Jesus to detour on a different path for victory. Well, there wasn't one, and there isn't one. And the reason that Peter was doing this was because he might have had the right answer for who Jesus was in his head. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. But I don't know that he had the right answer quite yet in his heart. And when we have the right answer for who Jesus is, 
and, and for who we are to Jesus, when we have been redeemed by faith and God's grace to us in Jesus, we're also the regenerated of God. There is one word right there in verse 33 that I believe so perfectly describes what the regenerated of God are like. We, we use that term all the time. I mean, you know, born again. I'm a born again Christian. I've been born again. You've been regenerated. And that word was savorist, savorist in verse 33. See, Peter's problem is that he didn't savor the things of God yet but the things of men. Things like pride, things like prosperity here on earth. All the disciples had the same problem. They're jockeying for position, want to be first in the kingdom right under Jesus. We've studied that recently. See, all these things, earthly treasures, earthly pleasures, they had control of Peter's heart, and they formed his values, and as a result, they controlled his choices and, and his actions. But for those who have been redeemed, this shouldn't be the case. See, savoring those things, those earthly things, that's a characteristic of spiritually dead people, people who haven't been born again. But those who trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they, they savor new things because they've been given new life. They've been given eternal life, raised from spiritual death and from savoring spiritually dead things to eternal spiritual life and savoring spiritually alive things. Here at Dublin First Baptist Church, when we try to describe this and when we're trying to help someone grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we call this new affections, new aversions, no ambivalence. When you come to Jesus Christ, when you've been redeemed, that's who you are, that's your position before God. When you've been regenerated, you've been given new life, you're going to have new affections. Things that you never really cared for before, all of a sudden you're going to love. Like going to church, reading the Bible, praying. Not all the time, but you're going to have a taste for them that you didn't have before. You're going to have new aversions, things that you used to love. How in the world am I ever going to live without it? It's just who I am. It's part of who I am. No, it ain't. You're new. You're a new creation. You're a new creature. You're redeemed. You're regenerated. And there's no ambivalence. You have a desire. You have a will that the Holy Spirit that's living in you gives you. Peter's mind was set on spiritually dead things. That's what that word savorous means. In the Greek, it's phroneo. It means to set the mind upon. You're setting your mind upon dead things, Peter. That's what Jesus says his problem is. We're to set our th mind, we're to savor eternally, uh, eternal things, uh, eternally alive things, spiritually alive things. Now, why is this important for the answer to this question that uh, Sina uh, painted this picture to? Who am I to you, Jesus? I am who you say I am? It's because this, as the redeemed, as the regenerated, our position as the redeemed, and the power that comes from being regenerated, um, it's to drastically affect what we think about, what we say, what we value, and what we do. And that brings us to our final question that's addressed in the rest of this passage. What am I to do? What do redeemed and regenerated people do? What is my redeemed and regenerated purpose in life as a Jesus follower? Verses 34 to 37, again, they highlight this position-driven practice. It's so key, this mental part, this who I am. That second question is, if you don't got that right, you got to get the first question right. Who is Jesus? When you get that right, you got to get the second question right. Who am I? To, I'm redeemed. I'm regenerated. And then based on that, based on my position in Christ, I am one with Jesus Christ. I have been brought to new life. When we have this baptism, that's what it's going to symbolize. That's why you go under. The old is a symbol of the old person dying and the new person coming to life. 
That's why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection of us when we accept Jesus as our Savior. Jesus describes here in verses 34 to 37 what he expects of those who follow him. What it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Jesus follower. What the redeemed, what regenerated people look like and should do. He describes here in verses 34 to 37 what saved savoring is. Verse 34, what does he say? When he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whoever will come after me. You want to be a Christian? A little Christ? Whoever will come after me, let them deny himself. Let him deny himself. It's selfish. Selfless. (laughs) Just like Jesus. Selfless. We deny ourselves and we make Christ preeminent. We make Christ number one. In fact, he's not just number one. He's all. We align our will with his will for our lives. Then what do we do? We deny ourselves and we take up our cross. When you lay something down, when you deny yourself, you better pick something up real quick. Or you know what you're going to pick back up? Self. You're going to pick up self real quick. So we deny ourselves. We lay ourselves down. We pick up our cross. We're commanded by Jesus here based on our position. I'm redeemed. I'm regenerated. Sourced in the power because we're born again and we have new life. We're commanded to take up our cross. Our cross, not his cross, that's been done. We celebrated that already. We take up our cross. Your cross is yours. Your cross isn't mine. It's not someone else's. Every one of us has one. It's been sovereignly assigned to you by the God who loves you, who died for you, who redeemed you, who regenerated you. Don't disregard the cross of someone else. Don't covet the cross of someone else. Just pick yours up. (laughs) Just pick yours up and carry it in regeneration power. That's what Jesus is commanding us here. In verse 34, he closes with this, and follow me. It could be translated, and so follow me, as in deny yourself, take up your cross. This is how you follow me. And the only way we can do this, the only way, is based on our position in Christ, that we're redeemed, that our identity in Christ and in the power of being in Christ, that we are born again, that we're regenerated. Now, you might think, uh, I don't know how I can. My cross is heavy, Jason. You're right, you can't. You cannot, you cannot carry that cross by yourself. You can't in your power. You can. He wouldn't give it to you. Otherwise, you can in regenerated, resurrected power. You might think, how am I supposed to lay down self? How am, I supposed to, how am I supposed to take off sin? Jason, I've been trying to do that since before I, I was saved. I, I don't think I'll ever have victory over this sin. It's been a lifelong battle. Again, you, you cannot. You can't. You can't, but God can. God can in you. Through the Holy Spirit, through, through his word, through resurrected, regenerated power, yeah. And all of this, all of this is a promised provision to you. To be able to do because of your position in Jesus Christ as redeemed, as regenerated. This question, who am I to Jesus and what am I to do? It flows from the first question. It flows from the second question. That's who you are. You're redeemed. You're regenerated. Stop listening to what other people say about you. Stop listening to what the, the devil says about you. Stop listening to what even you say about you. Your, your position in Christ, you're redeemed, 
your identity in Christ, you're, you're regenerated. When you finally start thinking like he says you are to be thinking, that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 6 when he says, reckon yourselves. He says, you want to know how to get victory over sin? You've got to mentally consider you are dead to sin. It doesn't have power over you anymore. You're alive unto God and Jesus Christ. You've been united with him. You've been crucified with Christ. You're a new creation. It all starts here. Answering question number one right. And then question number two right. When you finally start doing that, when you finally mentally get your position before God right, that I am who he says I am, well, then you can finally start living out in practice what's true of you positionally. We can finally live as a Jesus follower in victory like he tells us to here. We can finally savor and set our minds the things that redeemed and regenerated people do. In verses 35 to 37, they throw some logic into what's already been for these disciples. A bit of a, a mind-blowing, paradigm-busting teaching moment. Right? He says, whosoever will save his life, no, they're going to lose it. Whoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same is going to save it. What would it profit a man? If you gain this whole world, but you lose your soul, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? I mean, this is a mind-blowing to these disciples. In accepting God's conception of who a Messiah is, and then for me to follow him, I'm going to have to deny self. I'm going to have to take up an instrument of death, my, my cross. And then me as his follower, I, I, I may... I may have to experience everything that he experienced, even, even death, giving up my whole life for, for his. Yeah, and so to assure them to continue, stay the course, keep following Jesus, Jesus holds out the priceless value of following him. It's not a bad deal, folks. It is not a bad deal. It's an incredible deal. It's not a bad trade. It's an eternally wise and valuable thing to do. That's what verses 35 to 37 are saying. But it's also not an addition. Let me make that clear. It is a trade. It is a trade. It's an exchange. What Jesus is calling them to, what Jesus is calling all of us to, what Jesus is offering and presenting as the Messiah, as Savior, it's not try this out, let's add a little bit of Jesus to your life, see if it makes life better. No, this is a trade. This is a full-on trade. It's not an addition. It's a total exchange. And verse 38 makes it clear that there's only two choices when you come to this third question when it comes to Jesus Christ. You can be ashamed or you can be all in. And I've got to ask you this morning, which one are you? Are you ashamed or are you all in? He continues in verse 38 <clears throat> to focus on the eternal benefit of following Jesus. At the end of, of verse 38, he says, when he returns, coming in the glory of the Father with the holy angels, look, this is when the opportunity to answer any of these three questions, it's done. It's past. Your fate is fixed. So today, today is the day to decide. Today is the day to answer these questions correctly. Jesus says that whoever is ashamed of him in this adulterous and sinful generation, Jesus will be ashamed of when he returns. Now that word ashamed, it implies a lot more than we probably realize. It's not talking about being embarrassed. The Greek word means to place our confidence in something incorrectly. Like, whoa, I was wrong about that one. And I, I did go all in on that and I shouldn't have. I gained the whole world and I lost my soul. What a terrible deal. Or to go all in for Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. It's to reject 
what Jesus Christ said earlier about saving ourselves rather than denying ourselves. It's to reject what Jesus Christ said earlier about placing our joy and and our peace and our faith in earthly things instead of picking up our cross. It's to reject who Jesus is and what he has done for us by counting on anything else as more precious or more priceless. That's what it means to be ashamed of him. We got a choice. We can either be ashamed of him, who he is, what he's done for us, what he demands of us, or we can be all in. Those are the two options. We can follow him in this exchange, his life for mine. I'll take that. My sin for his righteousness. Man, I'll take that. This world for him. He can have this world. (laughs) His will for my will. His wants instead of my wants. The things that this world savors or the Savior? What's it going to be? Who is Jesus to you? There might be one here who you've never answered that question correctly. This is the first time that you've ever really recognized him as the only one who can save you from your sins. And, and you got Holy Spirit's moving to ask you to receive him. Do it. We're going to have a time of invitation here in a moment. Don't wait. Receive him as Savior. Call out to him right now. You don't have to do it out loud. In prayer, confess your sins to him. Ask him to be your Savior. Ask him to forgive you for those sins. Trust in him alone and what he did for you on the cross to save your save you from your sins, and, and to give you eternal life. Now, Christian, you who have answered that question rightly, we got to focus on the other two. Who are you to Jesus? If you've received him as Savior, if, if you answer that first question right, don't you understand he has defined you? You don't got to worry about it anymore. It's already done. He's, he's defined you. You're redeemed. You're regenerated. Stop listening to what anyone else says about you, how anyone else tries to define you. No, live in the power over sin and self that comes from reckoning yourself dead to sin and alive to God, mentally acknowledging that is your reality. Allow the power of your position in Christ, your identity in Christ. Allow that to drive your practice, to help you do what you're supposed to do. Instead of the devil, instead of listening to what others, even yourself, say about yourself. And, and what does position-driven practice look like? What are you to do? What are you to do? You deny self, just like your Savior. You take up your cross, just like your Savior. I mean, follow him, Jesus follower. What's he asking you to lay down this morning? What's he asking you to pick up this morning and thereby follow him? What will you choose? You're going to be ashamed of him? You're going to place your confidence in yourself and someone else and things of this world? Man, don't. You might gain all of that. You might. You'll lose your own soul. Don't do that. Will you choose to go all in? Man, do it. Do it and save your life. <laughs> do it and spend your life for him and for the gospel. Go all in and savor him. Set your mind on him. Do it and profit. That's what this says. Do it and gain way more than you could ever gain by trying to save yourself. Tommy, as he comes, however the Holy Spirit's calling you to respond to the word of God this morning, I just ask that you'd obey.